Give the secret handshake. Check your cloaks. And remove your tinfoil hats. This is the Illuminati Social Club. The podcast you don't want they to know about. This is bullshit. This series presents information based in part on theory and conjecture. The producer's purpose is to suggest some possible explanation, but not necessarily the only ones to the mysteries we will examine. Welcome to the In Search of series here on the Illuminati Social Club. I'm your host, Jason from Parma. Joining me, as he does, from, uh, fr- from the square that is Guelph, Ontario, Canada, Mr. <laughs> Oliver Rockside. Hello, all. How are you? Excellent. And from the, uh, from the rhombus that is uh, no- uh, Halifax, Nova Scotia, Dr. Steve Cloutier. The sweltering rhombus tonight. Yes, <laughs> yes I, I'm, uh, I, I'm being very geometric today because we are talking about yet another triangle. One kind of close to me. I'm, I'm surprised I haven't disappeared yet. Uh, the Great Lakes Triangle. Um, but as, as we've been doing, uh, let's let, uh, let's let Leonard have his, his say. There is a body of water from which the cry of distress comes more often for a square mile than any other body of water in the world. It is not the Devil Sea off Japan, the tumultuous waters of Cape Horn, nor the deadly calm of the Sargasso Sea. It is an area where the search and rescue capabilities have no equal. Not the Bermuda Triangle, but another triangle. A triangle formed by the Great Lakes, locked in the heart of industrial North America. Darn, I thought he was going to say the Cuyahoga River when it's on fire. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So there's a Great Lakes Triangle. Who'd have thunk it? I think, you know, uh, just for, for all of you folks out there who don't understand, if you take any three points on a map or on a sheet of paper or on your floor or on your forehead, they form a triangle. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> any three points at all, they make a triangle. Um, let's see. Uh, let's see. Uh, oh, yeah. And in bodies of water, uh, easily, you know, unpredictable uh, things happen in the Great Lakes because, oh, the Great Lakes are not, you know, they're, they're, they try to paint the Great Lakes as these, you know, just these five serene bodies of water. Oh, no. The Great Lakes are disastrous. <laughs> they, they're, I would say they're more dangerous in the ocean. Oliver, what were your impressions of this episode? Well, I can't really tell you because they never tell us what the triangle is. No, they don't. What is it like Thunder Bay to Chicago to to Kingston? I don't know. I don't know what the triangle is. So hold hold on. I'm going to look at my talk? I'm going to look at my upside down world map and see if I could figure out where the triangle is. But as you said, we could just pick any three points. But yeah, if you're just... going to do an episode called <laughs> the Great Legs Triangle, at least tell me what the triangle is. Yeah, I, you know, at least in the Bermuda Triangle episode, they actually told us what the triangle was. Triangle was. <laughs> um, the uh, 
this this was kind of boring, to be quite mm-hmm. honest with you, Jason. Yeah. Um, and we're gonna. I'm sure we're gonna talk a lot about him during the episode because he's the only one who's present. I don't know why In Search of does this. They do this with Francis Hitchens, where it's just one person in the whole show who's supposedly the expert. Uh huh. And and he's not even an expert, really. I mean, I I well, looked this guy up, but. Okay, well, are we gonna? I need to know where that accent is from because, uh, guessing by the last by his last name, his name is Jay Gourlay. Gourlay. I am guessing. Yeah. I am guessing he is from Louisiana, but that <laughs> accent perplexed me big time. Um, but uh, no, it's like I mean, I understand that journalistic credibility and in search of are mutually exclu- exclusive. <laughs> uh, but um, but at least try to make it look good. This was just an episode with one guy. It's like he paid. For, it was like it was like an infomercial for his theory. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Steve, what were your impressions? Well, before I make any Gordon Lightfoot references, um, <laughs> oh, I knew it was coming. <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll get to that. Um, uh, it's it's one of these things that always kind of. I used to live in Newfoundland for for a bit. Um, I le- lived in St. John's, and they they made a big deal in the early '90s um, when they said that more people drown in Newfoundland than in any province in Canada. Okay. And I'm thinking, that's because it's an island, <laughs> right? It, it and my point, and so my point is, there are more wrecks and problems in this area because there are more boats and more ships and more planes. <laughs> of course, they're going. There's going to be more disasters there. Darn, you spoiled my surprise. <laughs> because there's just more people there. Right. In the same way that, of course, there are more drownings in Newfoundland because it's an island. Mm-hmm. I, I can I can bet you that Saskatchewan has the fewest drownings <laughs> in Canada. Well, let's see. Uh, anyone from Saskatchewan want to, uh, you know, want, want to look at the news and tell us how many drownings happened, uh, you know, in the past year? You know, because that, that that's in search of statistics there, you know. You, you just use anecdotal uh, data, you know, you know, anecdotal stories, and that's it. So <laughs> people in people in Saskatchewan die of boredom. Yes, yes, and, they do. And if I was a lesser person, uh, I would say that more people uh, die in Newfoundland because they're drunk. <laughs> but <laughs> only if I was a lesser person. <laughs> uh, so, so we we continue. In terms of the sheer magnitude of tragedy, Gourley has discovered that the Great Lakes surpass the so-called Bermuda Triangle. And the Bermuda Triangle covers some one and a half million square miles, 16 times the size of the five Great Lakes combined. These are not strange remote waters or vast stretches of ocean. These are completely enclosed freshwater pools, the playground of middle America. No! No, they're highly unpredictable lakes. They're not pools of water, Leonard. I know, I, know, I love I... it. Leonard talks about it like the Great Lakes were a Mr. Turtle. I mean, oh, it, I... It, it's just <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Uh, the... And it's not it's it's not so much the water that's unstable; it's the weather. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the Great Lakes are surrounded by by land that of varying terrain. Uh, 
and you know you you have winds that that cause weird weather patterns so yeah um but you know so far in this episode and we're not i don't know how i can't remember how far in we are but i've only played the second clip uh we we have yet to hear any statistics they have said absolutely nothing about what pers- you know how how many more people uh you know die or suffer disaster in the great lakes than the bermuda triangle they don't go into any of that they talk about just the size and that's the other thing uh, you know the bermuda triangle is a very large area with very few boats planes and people the great lakes are a much smaller area with a lot more planes, a lot more boats, and a lot more people. Guess what? More stuff is going to happen there. <laughs> and then, oh, my favorite line, which I did not capture the clip. I wish I would have. But he said something along the lines of, you know, but, but enough of cold data. You know, <laughs> let, let's, go, let's go talk to people about their stories. So instead of, you know, talking about data which we have not seen any Let, let's let's go for the anecdotes because of course you know the anecdote of data is the 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 plur i'm sorry geez boy did i screw that up <laughs> you had one the, job one i know job. i know <laughs> ladies and gentlemen the plural of anec- the plural of anecdote is not data how many times have we said this on this series <laughs> so well, I mean, not only that, but but when they tell the stories, they actually contradict what the narr- narrator says, what Leonard Nimoy says, because they use that example of uh, that Robert Joy Jr. guy, mm-hmm. uh, whose father they were his father was in a plane, he was in another plane, uh, and his father disappeared. Guess guess what I have? You have a clip. I have a clip. Uh, and finally. Not dried data, but flesh and blood. Oh, I do have that. Eyewitnesses who survived to describe their bewilderment. Such a man is Robert Joy Jr. of Michigan, a policeman, a pilot, and a professor of criminology. On April 23, 1973, Bob watched his father vanish. His father was flying a safe, well-equipped amphibious aircraft. Is there any difference between this airplane and the airplane your father disappeared in? No, it's exactly the same type of airplane. Bob Joy was in another plane a few hundred feet away. They were over shallow Lake Erie. The water was not rough. There was no cry for help. No, but there was probably lots of wind. And also, there is a big difference between that plane and the plane his father was flying. (laughs) The plane that they were looking at is in one piece. Uh... (laughs) Sorry, that was cold. <laughs> but, uh, but, not, but not only that, like I said, Len- Leonard says there was no cry for help. Mm-hmm. But just after that, yes, Bob Joy says he heard something, his father say something on the radio, but he didn't understand what he said. Yes. So he- there was a cry for help. <laughs> and he was, well, on the, he was on the Unicom frequency, as he said, which was congested. Maybe because there's lots of planes and lots of boats and lots of people around. And did no one ever think that Dad maybe have had a heart attack? That could be too. And that's why the plane went down. 
I mean, this is where they make stuff out of whole cloth. It's just crazy. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's so many things that could have happened to dad, uh, you know, while he was in the plane. Um, And I I think we should just point out here that this is the first mention of Lake Erie. There's nothing mentioned about anything going wrong in Lake Ontario. Mm -hmm. There's nothing mentioned about anything going awry in Lake Huron. Mm -hmm. This was the only instance that I remember them mentioning Lake Erie. Right. So really what they're talking about is Superior and Michigan. Mm -hmm. And apparently Michigan doesn't swallow boats. It just crashes planes. Yeah. So so we're really talking about Lake Superior here. Mm -hmm. And and so that's why I'm wondering what this triangle is. Well, get your, uh, you know, Steve, get your references ready. All right. Get your Goomy. When the Edmund Fitzgerald was launched, it was the largest of the Great Laker boats. When she sailed from Duluth, Minnesota on November 9, 1975, she too was sailing safely in tandem with another Laker, the Arthur M. Anderson. They easily weathered a mild storm, but to be safe, the Fitzgerald checked her speed to close the distance between her and the Anderson. A snow flurry obscured their view briefly but the radar told the Anderson that the Fitzgerald was less than nine miles ahead. When the flurry lifted, the Anderson could see for 20 miles, but there was no Fitzgerald. So there you go. Uh, th- does that mean Gordon Lightfoot was right? Uh, <laughs> sorry. So, Okay, so the weather on uh, on the Great Lakes is unpredictable. We've said that already. Um, and it was a it, gale force winds. Apparently, if if you listen to the song, but don't worry, well, I'm not I, playing it in the background. <laughs> and Thank and not, God. Only, not only not only that, but um, it was carrying water. It was leaking mm. the boat. The Fitzgerald was was leaking at the time, so it was low in the water. Ah, okay, that right that, that makes a whole lot of sense. Um, and so it, in in a storm, even even in a small storm, it would be easy for something, um, you know, for I don't know something to happen and the load shift or something like that. Mm-hmm. Ah, okay. well, sorry, Steve. No, no, go ahead. No, this brings up another point that they don't mention is that boats that are built to go on the Great Lakes, I'm sure are, I'm not a marine scientist, but I'm, they talk about it like it's the love boat. Oh, like no it's got kidding. stabilizer bars and all this kind of stuff, like a, a modern cruise ship. <laughs> These boats that go on the lake don't have any of that, to my knowledge, because there's usually no need for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, all of this kind of stuff, they're talking about a boat like it's a boat on the ocean, and I think that the boats that go on the Great Lakes are are just engineered differently. Uh, a lot of the large boats, I believe, are flat-bottomed yeah. or, you know, very shallow, you know, where, where an ocean, you know, an ocean liner is going to have, like, a really long, what is, what is that called, a keel? You know, right. kind of, it, it goes yeah. deep down in the water. A lake yeah. boat doesn't have that luxury, especially because of, uh, oh, yeah, the puddle to the north of me. Uh, yeah. Known as Lake Erie. Uh, yeah. Lake Erie is the shallowest of of the of the Great Lakes, uh, reaching. I think it only reaches like for like a square mile or so. It reaches like two hundred uh, two hundred feet deep, but most of it is like ninety feet. <laughs> so that's not a lot. 
<clears throat> so you have to have like really wide, long boats for Lake Erie. And the other thing is, is that you've got to have a boat that can go through the Niagara Locks, mm-hmm. which no one else meant. No one they don't mention during this time at all. They, right? They they these must are, not want to talk about um, about Canada these, at all for some reason. I, I know the Welland Canal gets complete short shrift here, um, but they have to they have to be able to negotiate that. So the, just the boat, they, they talk about these boats like you know at five o'clock the Lido deck opens. You know, it's like. <laughs> No, these are differently engineered boats, right? Right. And and it's they this idiot, you know, this Mister Gray or whatever, Gr- Goulet, what's his name Robert again? Goulet. Uh, Robert, no, I... We're just going with Robert Goulet now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the youngsters won't know who that is. No, um, but uh, but yeah, it's just it's just this is all a supposition based on nothing. Now, this is the other thing, Jason. You live, what, 10 miles away from a Great Lake? Uh, about li- four miles. <laughs> four miles. I live about I live about 25 miles from a Great Lake. Mm-hmm. I have never heard this story before, ever. <laughs> Outside of the Edmund Fitzgerald, I have never heard this before. I don't think this is uh, lore among, among boating people. It's just something that this guy came up with. And, and apparently... Um... Uh, the, from, from what I understand, the, uh, I believe the, the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, sorry, didn't mean to make that reference, uh, was caused by rocks, uh, in, uh, one of the channels from Superior to Erie, I believe, or was it, uh, was it here? I can't remember what it, it was like, right. It, it was like towards like, uh, it was around. It was in Superior that it hit rocks and basically tore the bottom of the boat. Yeah, which is what you know. <laughs> and, and and even the 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 facts that he gives us, uh, Bob Goulet there gives us, um, are wrong mm-hmm. because because he says the, the last time anybody heard from the Fitch, Edmund Fitzgerald, they said everything was okay, but that's not what the last message was. The no. last message. The last message was, we are holding our own. Mm-hmm. Which doesn't say everything's okay. It's just, we got a handle on it for now. It was, it was <laughs> right? fellas, got, it's been good to know you. <laughs> but we're still here. It doesn't say it's okay. Right. It's, it, it, it's, a, it's a case of, all right, you know, um, we're holding our own. But <laughs> it's that's not the sort of affirmative, positive message that, that, that Bob Goulet gives uh, <laughs> Jay, by, by the way, it's Jay Leland Gourlay, but you know, okay, there it's more fun to, it's more fun to make fun of him. Uh, I, I just have written here the Kamloops, and I can't remember what the hell that was. Oh, that was the miss. That was the Mary Celeste of the uh, of the uh, of the Superior oh, okay. of yes. the uh, Great Lakes. Uh, it disappeared with you know it was alongside a buddy, and it disappeared for no reason. What was it in nineteen twenty seven? Twenty seven. Yeah. So, and I, I was wondering, I was wondering by this time in the episode, uh, you know, how many of these stories are simply marine legends and not actually real shipwrecks? You know, it's like everything is, you know, based on a kernel of truth. And I wonder how, like, I mean, obviously the, the Edmund Fitzgerald happened. Um, and 
I have no doubt the cam loops happen, but they talk about all these shipwrecks that have happened. You know, how many of those are real and how many of them were, you know, just legend? I love it. Lorelai <laughs> lives in Mil- Milwaukee and, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and we she still... hears the... Go ahead. No, go ahead. And we still haven't had any numbers on shipwrecks. No. They have not given us any numbers. Uh, let's go to our next clip and see what, see what else we could talk about here. And then there were the wrecks that were only too painfully evident. But the phenomenon that destroyed them vanished as suddenly as it came. The Layfield, the James E. Davidson, the Hebu, the Sakem, all proceeding through relatively calm waters when a single gigantic wave struck them down. A mountain of boiling water rising for one tumultuous moment. Meteorologists call them a sash wave, but cannot explain them. They were first recorded in the Great Lakes in 1872. They are not caused by wind. No, I, I don't know what they're... Well, they could be caused by currents. Under the water. Steve, you look like you have something to say. Well, I have two things to say. Sure. Uh, first of all, um, I, I've seen in another documentary, I forget what for what it was, um, I saw a scientist create a rogue wave. Uh, and, and, and what he, his, his theory was that it was a bunch of little waves that just sort of kind of merge into one and become one big wave. Hmm. And he was able to recreate that in, in a laboratory oh, okay. um, and, and show it on, on thing. Um, the other thing that I, I would like to point out is to sort of drop an 80s band reference. Um, the bass player for Loverboy died as a result of a rogue wave that washed him off his ship, off, uh, off his boat. Damn. In in San Francisco. Yes. I mean, it, yeah. it, it's the Pacific people. Yeah. <laughs> True. Um, so then we go to United Flight 389. So now we're going now we're going to airplanes again. Um apparently, you know, somehow, some way, you know, well, United Flight 389 went down. And it it, it was Thought to be unexplained, but it turns out like these days it could have been uh, one of the four most popular altimeters in the plane was also one of the hardest ones to read. Yeah. And it was possible. I, I got this from Wikipedia, by the way. Um, the pilot was unable to decipher the altimeter uh, in time before he realized that, uh, you know, he was in the water. Yeah, he's just lower than he thought he was. Yes. And crashed. Mm-hmm. Because that's that's what, you know, the, the the problem is they make it sound like, you know, the the pilot is just looking out the window at, you know, at the, uh, you know, at the scenery in front of him. Uh, most pilots actually fly by instrument, especially commercial pilots. They fl- They fly based on their instruments and that's it. Uh, I believe they call it fly-by-wire as well. Uh, maybe maybe Dave or uh, Jonathan Broadbeck could uh, enlighten us on that. Um, Can I just point out that it, that w- when he's talking about the planes, that um, Leonard Nimoy makes perhaps I, I, the most idiotic statement he has ever said okay. on air? 
Uh, so much so that I, I, I actually wrote it down. Yes. He's talking about pl- he's talking about planes, and and sometimes when there's a plane crash, people don't know what what caused it. And he says this: when the investigators finally conclude that the cause of a crash is undetermined, it can be assumed that the mystery is very real indeed. And now let's hear Leonard Nimoy say it himself. A highly scientific examination of every piece of wreckage can reconstruct the state of an aircraft as it existed at the moment of impact. When the investigators finally conclude that the cause of a crash is undetermined, it can be assumed that the mystery is very real indeed. <laughs> it's like, yes, that's, that, that's the equivalent of saying when the investigators say that it is red, we can assume that it is very red indeed. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, but I'm pretty sure that the investigators aren't jumping immediately to ghosts on the lake. <laughs> no. And the other thing is, was this before the time of the black box? No. No. No? Okay. Oh, no. Black box has been around for a long time. But, oh, has but, it? Okay. But it, it would also depend on the type of plane. Not, not all planes have black boxes. Um, oh, okay. From what I was reading about uh, Flight 389... The one reference in this episode, uh, the black box, the the outer casing was found, but the rest of the the rest of the instrumentation uh, that that's contained within was gone. It apparently the the black box was apparently not so strong. Well, this is the other thing: is that just anecdotally, it seems to me that there was more plane crashes in the seventies because. You know, the engineers who came up with the Pinto were, were building airplanes at that time. <laughs> um, and you've just kind of maybe uh, proven that anecdote. Mm-hmm. But we have, this, we have the same fascination. I mean, how many 24-hour news cycles did we have to go through the Malaysian Airlines thing on CNN? Mm-hmm. A month? Six weeks? Right? It's uh. just this fascination over mysteries. And this one just, it, it turned out it wasn't. And like everything. Um, and, and then they go into, uh, military pilots and, you know, yeah, military pilots are, uh, you know, a cut above, but they're still human and they still, you know, they still have human like reflexes. So they could easily go down. They can go down as easily as any, as, as any, uh, 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 pilot. But, yeah, of course. Well, and they're usually going much faster than a than a traditional yeah. pilot, too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So now we're getting into the supernatural stuff, and uh, I can't remember the rest of these clips. But here's 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 another one. Who was on that aircraft? Was here the other night talking to us about it. In many cases, the circumstances are so mysterious as to give rise to theories that range from conservative scientific evaluations to fanciful speculations on the forces of outer and inner space. There appears to be, for example, a particular area of such heavy devastation as to be beyond the possibilities of coincidence. It is a line that extends, curiously enough, into the Bermuda Triangle. It is called the Agonic Line. The Agonic Line is just uh, an imaginary line that connects the magnetic North Pole to the true North Pole. That's it. 
I have no idea what it means. Steve, any idea? Uh, well, when I when I was watching it, it just reminded me of the, that whole ley line thing. Oh with, yes, you know that that because because it is the lining up of those two North Poles mm. uh, that it creates some kind of weird thing. Um, you know, and we we talked about ley lines in, in one episode. For me, it's the same kind of thing. By, by right? the way, by by the way, that uh, that that episode on ley lines was, you know, with where we talked about ley lines was probably uh, written by Francis Hitching. Probably. We're, we're just going to keep mentioning Francis Hitching in every episode now, <laughs> because we know that's what you people want. It's the patron saint of this podcast. <clears throat> uh so. This I, I just have written down that uh, this is so anti-scientific. Uh, it, it's Searching for explanations, Jay Gourlay meticulously examined 86 air disasters and 45 shipping disappearances. In many cases, the only possible explanations seem to be outside the range of conventional wisdom. Some could be explained by the vortex theory, the so-called black holes where matter drops in and out of space-time continua. Then there's the fact that the Great Lakes have heavy deposits of iron ore. There are well-founded theories of the magnetic field of the Earth reversing itself, of magnetic earthquakes, which could destroy navigational capabilities. Don't, don't make me bang my head on the desk again. <laughs> I'll do it for you this time. <laughs> that sounds like a, a, a season a seven episode of Next Generation. That's yeah. just... They call it techno babble, and that's just all that is. So the, and yes, this is very anti-scientific because just because we don't know now how something happened doesn't mean we'll never know. It just means that we don't have the knowledge at this time to figure it out. You know we're. We, we, we can find a natural explanation for all these disasters. We don't have to resort to woo. <sighs> so, anyone, anyone want to add to that? Well, then we get into the UFOs. Oh, I, you know what? I think I have a clip for yeah, that. Yeah, a clip for that one, too? Oh, good. I'm like Bevy tonight. In three cases, the disappearance of Northwest Airlines Flight 2501 over Milwaukee, the crash of a PA-22 into the shore ice of Lake Michigan, and the sudden destruction of the Edmund Fitzgerald, unidentified flying objects were independently and reliably reported in the disaster area. Independently and reliably. Did, did you hear the air quotes on that? Uh, I'd just like to go back and t and just say that I hope Steve is not too much like Bevy this evening. <laughs> uh, or we're going to have to warn Karen. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, no, they're, no, not UFOs. <laughs> Although I do... Um, I, I I do I do give uh, Robert Goulet credit here, or, or uh, Goulet, whatever the hell his name. Oh, is. just call him Robert Goulet. Uh, he he admits that none of the explanations, you know, none of these explanations are adequate. They are not verifiable or falsifiable. 
and you know, no, they can't be replicated. So then, why is he on TV? <laughs> exactly. That's what I want to know. Because maybe he—I don't know—he didn't write this episode, did he? No, no. I, I was all expecting to see you know written and 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 produced by this dingbat, but no. <laughs> Either that or Francis Hitching, but no, neither no, of them. Someone named Barbara did it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and and Kay Hoffman is still our uh, our our production assistant or yeah. production manager or whatever she. Oh, is. Oh no, yeah, no, she's supervising producer now. Oh oh yeah. oh. Yeah, I wonder if her and Alan Landsberg ever, you know. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, this one was, uh, well, I, I will say this one got, uh, you know, this one's going on 33 minutes here, this episode. Okay, so, well, please, that that's breaking our rule because this one is not worth your time. I, I think I think eventually this might be a uh, tweet along episode just because I think it's interesting enough just for the just for the awful uh pseudoscience going on in it. But we'll leave that for another time. Uh anyone else have anything to add before we uh shut this one down? I just like to say that I looked a little bit up about the Northwest 2501 flight. Yes. And we do know what caused the crash. Okay. They flew into a series of thunderstorms. That'll do it. <laughs> I was hoping you were going to say D.B. Cooper happened, but no. <laughs> no it was 1950, so. Uh, okay. A little before the time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, anything else? Oliver, anything to add? No, I'm good. Thank you. Just tell me what the triangle is. That's all I really want to know. Uh, I'll make one up. Thank you. Uh, maybe it's Detroit, Cleveland, Buffalo. How's that? Well, that's a very that's a, that's a very slim wedge, as it were. Yeah, yeah, it is. You're right. And every everybody knows everything bad happens in Buffalo, so <laughs> and Cleveland and Detroit. Uh, that's where the ice age is starting. <laughs> uh, anyway, Oliver, tell people where they can find you on the internet. You can find me on Twitter at Oliver Rockside, and Steve. I, too, am on Twitter, at Doc Pinko. And I, three, am on Twitter, at AlienCG. And this podcast is uh, also on Twitter, at IlluminatiPod. I, I was trying to be clever, but that never works. So, ladies and gentlemen, please put your seat backs and tray tables in the upright and locked position, and Captain Stubing will be around. Have a good week, everyone. Toodles, kids. See ya. And yes, I know I mixed, uh, you know, planes and boats. That's the idea.